0: This is TechSnap, episode four hundred and thirteen, for October fourth, twenty nineteen. Hello and welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting Systems, Network, and Administration Podcast. My name is Wes, and of course, I'm joined by Jim. What's up, everybody? I think it's safe to say that the summary of today's episode is times, they are a-changing. Although, sometimes slowly, more on that later in the episode. To start things off, it's October now, and September was kind of a big month for DNS over HTTPS, or Doe. First, we saw Firefox start rolling out support, and well, now we've seen some trouble and headlines about Doe support in Chrome.
1: Killing me, Wes, you got to stop mispronouncing that. It's, Dow. yeah, okay, you're right. That's way better. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. It's not that weird to see headlines about uh, Google, you know, being caught up in an antitrust probe. What is a little weird is seeing that ISPs are asking for Google to get caught up in an antitrust probe because they're assisting users in encrypting their DNS requests. And, Really what this kind of boils down to, the, the actual argument here seems to be that the big ISPs think it's anti-competitive, that Google will be the only ones able, in theory, to spy on people's DNS, and the ISPs won't be able to do it anymore. That's anti-competitive. Maybe
0: we should back up for a moment. So DNS over HTTPS is, as you said, a, a way to secure DNS, which by and large is sent unencrypted out over the wire. With DNS over HTTPS, DNS requests are tunneled over a secured TLS HTTP session, and that means ISPs no longer have access to those requests. Firefox was first here with enabling a rollout of DNS over HTTPS with a partnership with Cloudflare, at least for some user segments, and Chrome has started an experiment as well, although sadly, no Linux support for some reason. To add some context here, so far, you're probably not using DNS over HTTPS. Mozilla is rolling it out to a small section of users in the U.S. And
1: for Google, well, it's kind of complicated, Jim. Yeah, so for Google right now, um, the only way to actually use it before they start doing the field trials is uh, you have to be using Chrome on Windows, and you have to put some really hilarious list of uh command line arguments when you start chrome either from the command line or in theory from the shortcut i had a lot of difficulty enabling it from the shortcut but uh you got enable features equals dns over HTTPS lesser than doh trial force field trials equals doh trial group one force field trial parameter, you know i could go on it's like three lines of garbage However, beginning with Chrome 78, uh, users will start getting automatically enrolled in the DOH experiment unless they have opted out of it. Now, you can opt out by modifying the Chrome flags DNS over HTTPS flag, or you can just use a DNS provider that isn't in Chrome's list of blessed DNS over HTTPS. Now, obviously, that's going to include Google's own 8.8.8.8 resolver and Cloudflare's 1.1.1.1. It will also include DNS.sb, clean browsing, OpenDNS, and Quad9. There's some interesting differences here. So far,
0: Firefox has been partnered with Cloudflare. And of course, you can substitute your own DNS over HTTPS server if you happen to have one. But Google's got a wider list so far and seem to be proceeding with a little more caution.
1: You know, Wes, I feel like we're kind of starting to get off topic, though. I mean, wasn't the topic that we started off on, you know, why ISPs want Google to get antitrust probed?
0: Yes, it was. And I suppose things are a little more complicated here because, as you said, Jim, Google also runs its own DNS server.
1: Yeah, but, you know, the the big takeaways here are, one, as we just covered, you don't have to be using google's dns server to be using dns over https in chrome in fact google does not have any plans to change anybody's dns server whatsoever if you're using one of the servers on the supported list dns over https will be enabled automatically whether it's coming from google or not if you're using one that's not on the list you'll keep using one that's not on the list and you won't get dns over https you'll just continue getting it over the clear wire from uh, whoever you happen to be getting it from so this really just kind of, it, it it takes all the wind out of the sails of any ISP argument that this is in any way anti-competitive other than that your ISP is just upset that they don't get to spy on your DNS requests anymore. The other thing I think that it's important to pay attention to is that a lot of people get paranoid about these settings, or they get paranoid about the idea that, oh, well, you know, what if I get a Google Wi-Fi router? Then, you know, Google will have root on my router, and they'll be able to see all my traffic, the reality of it is Google doesn't care about what happens on your router, and they don't care about your DNS requests. Um, that may sound a little strange. The thing is, I'm not telling you that Google doesn't want to know everywhere that you go and everything that you do. They absolutely do. They just have better and more informative ways of finding out. Pretty much every site on the internet has you know, Google Webmaster Tools and AdSense, and you know, a, a million other things, fonts.gstatic.com, you name it. All this stuff is going back to Google and they can they absolutely can see where you are going and what you're doing by use of these scripts that are embedded from all these pages. Whereas by contrast, if you go to reddit.com, our dogs and reddit.com are cats. Your DNS server doesn't know which is which. It doesn't know whether you went to dogs or cats. It just knows that you went to Reddit. The same thing is true for your router. Your router doesn't know which URL you went to because all that's, you know, it's tunneled in the uh, the end-to-end encryption involved in HTTPS itself. So it's not actually that useful. That's a good point. And, you know, it's also maybe important to remember that
0: Google has a legitimate interest in a secure internet because they make a lot of money from people using the internet and you need some trust there. I'm curious, Jim, will you be enabling DNS over HTTPS on your systems anytime soon?
1: Uh, So I, I'm not really going to be going out of my way to. I will be perfectly happy when uh, Firefox and Chrome both roll it out and you know, I get caught up in that automatic default because I am already using 8.8.8.8 and 1.1.1.1 as my DNS providers most frequently. I mean, when I'm really concerned about the privacy of my DNS requests, everything's rolling you know, out of the untrusted local environment over a WireGuard VPN anyway, so it's not that big of a concern for me.
0: Well, you mentioned WireGuard there, Jim, and I've seen a lot of confusion recently about a new WireGuard-based maybe VPN from Cloudflare. It's called Warp, and beyond that, I don't really know what to call it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty confusing. And the coverage out there, both from Cloudflare themselves and from all the news outlets that are covering it, it leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Cloudflare has made what technically absolutely is a VPN available for free. Uh, There is also a premium version of this VPN that's available for, boils down to $5 a month. Uh, The premium versions should, in theory, be faster and not have uh, bandwidth caps and all this good stuff. Now, what this boils down to is, It's a solution for the coffee shop problem. You know, you're on untrusted public Wi-Fi and evil hackers might be lurking around and you don't want to get man-in-the-middle. So you need to tunnel your traffic out of that untrusted area and, you know, get it out to some relatively trusted place on the internet and then let, you know, all the traffic go out from there. Now, Cloudflare is solving that problem with Warp. You absolutely can't escape the coffee shop and you can get onto Cloudflare's network and all of your traffic does go over warp and warp itself is at the end of the day a wireguard vpn everything's fully in- in- encrypted now the big thing that warp is not it's not an anonymization service a lot of people think you know a vpn well that's what i do when i go to you know download my torrents right yeah um that's what i do when i'm going to do some shady stuff that i don't want to get traced back to my ip address Now, technically, that's not what a VPN is anyway. uh, It's possible to use particularly a third-party VPN provider that pledges not to log your traffic and all that. You just have a lot of end-user connections all
0: originating from one big box with the same IP, so you, you can't really tell who's who.
1: Yeah, and you know another function is uh, region shifting. If you have a uh, if you have a third party VPN, it may offer you, you know, hey, do you want to come out of a UK endpoint or a US endpoint or a Dutch endpoint or whatever and you may be able to get a different selection of streaming TV from a service you have a subscription to, something like that. But uh, Warp has no interest in hiding your shady doings on the internet or in allowing you to watch British television. All Warp is for is solving the coffee shop problem. So for one thing, Cloudflare warns you that your IP address absolutely will be logged and saved for two years for everything that you do on Warp. Also, and this gets technically a little bit weird, um, all the websites that you visit, they although they probably won't see your IP address, they can if they really want to because Cloudflare is using a service called MMProxy to actually embed your real IP in the TCP headers of every connection that you make over Warp. Now, most websites aren't really gonna know that's happening. It's not something that you would see in like Apache server logs. You would actually have to be monitoring the TCP network stack itself from like the IP tables level to see these things. But nevertheless, your original IP address is right there for anybody who wants to see it. And if the site you're browsing to is Cloudflare enabled, it may be easier for those sites to access that that information. But again, at the end of the day, the the real answer here is Cloudflare is happy to help you escape the coffee shop or your sketchy ISP, but they are not happy to hide your own shady doings from anybody else.
0: If you're curious about Warp, it's integrated with Cloudflare's DNS app, 1.1.1.1, and interestingly is using WireGuard under the hood. That's kind of cool.
1: You know, Wes, I do want to add, we've been pretty flippant about that if you're up to no good. Um, You know, one of the reasons that a lot of people want to anonymize their traffic, it is not in any way that they're actually up to no good. There are a lot of people who are unfortunate enough to live under oppressive regimes where, for example, their own sexuality might lead to their death if exposed. Um, Any of you folks want to make it very clear, we do not believe that you're up to no good, but you also should not use warp. It will not anonymize you. It will not keep you safe.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. There's plenty of reasons to want to keep yourself private. And for that, you'll have to use another service. Speaking of Cloudflare, they had another announcement last month, and that's support for Quick and HTTP 3. This is more in our theme of the times they are changing. It seems like just the other day we suddenly had HTTP 2 and Speedy out there, and now it's time to change things yet again.
1: You know, I got to be honest, Wes, for most of us, we probably don't really care whether it's HTTP 2 and speedy or HTTP 3 and quick. What it really boils down to is, you know, everybody's playing with new technologies to figure out on the actual thing that, you know, we undergo the enormous effort of migrating away from HTTP 4. Yeah, that's true. For the most part, these changes end up
0: just being integrated into browsers, and unless you go looking for it, you probably won't notice. And it's also true that developing a new network protocol and getting everyone to go switch and adopt these new things, well, it takes a lot of work, and you want to make sure it's worth the investment. When I saw this announcement, I was kind of curious, you know, just how easy is it to go start using some of this tech? Might I stumble into it if I, you know, run an up-to-date browser? And it seems like right now you, you kind of have to work for it. Jim, you were doing some experiments on this.
1: Right now, Quick is mostly implemented in a very few places on uh, Cloudflare and a couple other people's backends, but um, it's kind of like a Wi-Fi 6. It's pretty easy to go out and buy a Wi-Fi 6 router. It's considerably more difficult to you know, get Wi-Fi 6 client devices, you know phones, laptops, what, what have you. Quick is a lot like that. If you want to play with Quick access to you know, one of these few services that actually supports it right now, Well, first, you're going to need either the Canary build of Chrome, or you can build a copy of Curl uh, from the Git repo from Master, uh, or you can actually build a a tool called Quiche that Cloudflare provides, but you're going to need a working Rust development environment to get all that going. It's pretty funny. I was looking at the list of available tools, and I was like, oh, wow,
0: yeah, there's a surprising number here. And then, like you said, under each one, it's basically the latest, unstablest build that you can find.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, it just, it gets worse from there. So I look over all this and I'm like, well, you know, I, I guess, I guess the canary build of Chrome is going to be the easiest thing. Let me just go grab a deb for that and I'll be good to go. Nope. Afraid not. turns out you can only get Chrome up to the dev channel on Linux. If you want canary, you're going to have to do windows or Mac, which is, which is pretty obnoxious. So I fired up a windows 10 virtual machine and loaded that thing up and downloaded the canary build and installed that. And that was fine, but uh, then it turns out from there to enable quick support in your Chrome Canary build, you can't do it with Chrome flags, you've got to do it with two different command line arguments. And uh, you know, I tried editing those command line arguments in the shortcut properties from the start menu, and that didn't want to work for one reason or another. After two or three tries with that, I got frustrated, and I dropped down to an actual command prompt, and from there I needed to cd to users, my username, local settings, application data google chrome side by side application and then i could run the uh the actual chrome with the uh the the two command line arguments and you know even then even when you're running it from a console i was pretty surprised to see under windows you don't get any console output uh you know if you were expecting standard error or standard out nope you get none of that it just fires up the window But at least finally at that point, it actually worked, and I could go to Cloudflare's blog, and I could see that I believe it was uh, eight of the 89 total resources on that page. Yay, they actually loaded with Quick. Now, it did not actually result in any speed up of the page when I loaded it both with, with Quick and without. It was actually quicker when I just loaded everything over standard HTTP, I saw the same thing on a couple of test sites that had Quick support enabled. I don't think that's because of anything actually wrong with Quick itself. I think maybe, you know, these sites just maybe they just had less resources allocated to the Quick side of it. And in any case, none of them were actually making Quick available in a helpful way. Quick isn't really so much faster for you to go and download a single resource. The idea behind Quick is that, you know, when you've got a complex page with, say, 89 elements and all 89 elements are being loaded over Quick, you're able to actually reuse the same connection with less overhead for each successive request. But when only like 10% of the resources on the page are loaded with Quick to begin with, it can't help much.
0: Yeah, it's definitely early days, and the same thing is true for Cloudflare's implementation. So you can go get it enabled on your site, but doesn't support everything just yet, including things like zero round-trip time resumption, which is some of the fancy features supported by Quick and the new Shiny stuff. But if you're interested in this sort of thing, or you do run a complicated site that might be able to take advantage of some of these new features, you can finally get your hands on something that will let you play with it.
1: Yeah, Wes, so before we move on to talking about something else, uh, there, there's basically two takeaways here about Quick. One is that uh, it's not ready yet. Um, the standards may still evolve even further before we really see mainstream adoption. And the other is that unless you just really, absolutely are dying to play with it on a fairly low level right now, you really don't need to kill yourself trying to get it enabled in a modern browser. It's not going to do anything for you. It's not a whole lot of fun to play with yet. Right, just wait, and uh, before
0: too long, I'm sure we'll see sites adopting it and better, easier, non-command-line-enabled flag support in our browsers. Since you were good enough to spin up a little test environment and go play with that Canary Chrome build for the show, Jim, which we all appreciate, brought this next topic to us fairly naturally because, of course, you had this fresh Windows install and you need to go get the Chrome Canary build. So what what do you fire up but Edge? And not only Edge, but searching for things using the Bing search engine, and I know that's that's your
1: favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. All right, all right, Wes. That was a pretty gross experience. So, uh, yeah, this is a brand new VM that I use for one thing at a time, and then roll back to gold. And uh, so the only browser on it is Edge in its default condition. I open it up and I search for. Google Chrome Canary Download and the top result comes from yepdownload.com. Totes legit. Oh man, that's gotta be, that's gotta be what you want. So that obviously wasn't gonna work. And you know, there's the old tried and true. Just type in Google.com and search from there. But rather than do that, I wanted to show you one of the cool things that I found about recently, which was startpage.com.
0: This was a new one to me. I think I might have, you know, heard it from some colleagues in the past, but not something I've used. I'll admit Day to day I mostly just use Google or DuckDuckGo from time to time. Where does start page fit in? Because I like DuckDuckGo, but honestly, I end up falling back to Google because not only am I just visually accustomed to what it looks like, you know, it's it's somehow easier for me to read the page in the Google format. I'm just I've done it so much, but I also kind of like the results more.
1: I got to be honest, I haven't used DuckDuckGo enough naturally to really have a good feel for, you know, whose results I like more. But, um, you know, I just I have the issue a lot of the time that I I don't just want to get the thing I'm looking for. I frequently I want to get basically the same set of results that, you know, you would expect a typical person to get and as we saw, you know, switching from Google to Bing and you know, instead of getting a direct download to you know, Chrome Canary, getting a link to yepdownload.com, oh boy, those results can just be wildly different. So it, it kind of turns me off a little bit from experimenting, even though it probably shouldn't. Um, the cool thing about startpage.com is you don't get different results because if I had to sum up startpage.com in two words, it'd be Google condom. Okay, I think I see what
0: you're saying there. Do they act as some sort of middleman or proxy or aggregator,
1: disaggregator? So what Startpage actually is is a Google partner. Uh, They actually send your search query onto Google and they fetch Google results and they hand those results back to you. But what happens along the way is your personalized information gets stripped out. So the results are a lot as though you had opened up an incognito tab and done your Google search from there. You know, none of the cookies are set. You're not getting personalized results that Google thinks are, you know, what you want to hear or what you want to see. You're getting a, a very generic set of returns. Now, some people might see that as a disadvantage, but you know, again, if you're ever concerned with, you know, I just want to get a neutral set of returns, that's pretty cool. Also, if, you know, maybe you don't want Google to know everything about all the things that you personally, as a quantifiable individual, are interested in, Startpage can help there as well. Because again, all those identifiers, stripped right out. I gave it a quick test, just as you were explaining there,
0: Jim. And something I noticed right away is this anonymous view
1: link. What makes that different? I mean, it sure seems handy. That is really handy. The, uh, the anonymous view, I mean in one sense it's nothing special it's a simple web proxy and you know as anybody who's been around the internet for a while knows web proxies are everywhere they're all over the place but you know they're kind of a pain in the butt to use right uh, a lot of places have them blocked and frequently you might need to install something or you know find the one that's working today or whatever well the anonymous view on start page there's a link for the anonymous view of every result that comes up and if you click that it just much like your search results got proxied through Google, whatever page you're going to also gets proxied through StartPage. So it's a quick anonymous view that, uh, you know, is maybe a little bit better than going through an incognito tab or what have you. Because again, everything, you know, your your IP address is not getting associated with it, nothing. It's just all getting filtered through StartPage itself.
0: It's pretty easy to tell that the people behind StartPage care a fair bit about privacy, by default, if you want to save your settings, it stores it in an anonymous cookie, but they also just offer all those settings in a handy URL so you can make a bookmark and not have to worry about a cookie at all. That is
1: pretty cool. Startpage also offers a, uh, they offer an email service called Startmail, which is also privacy focused. I have to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about it, but you know, I, I did like what I found out about Startpage itself. Um, I actually spoke to Startmail's founder for a little while and, uh. The company is based in the Netherlands, and uh, I feel like they clearly do take privacy very seriously. It's a privately owned company; uh, they don't, so they don't need to worry about you know uh, maximizing revenue for shareholders or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. Well, I think you've just added a new
0: tool to my tool belt. So thank you very much, Jim.
1: Oh yes, yeah, one of the things that Start Mail includes is disposable email addresses. Just create a temporary one, use it, and throw it away. That is
0: super handy. And kind of like with proxying, you know, those are services that exist, but many of them feel a little sketchy, honestly. So it's nice to have things that are a little more on the up and up.
1: Well, let's let's get a couple more pieces of Google news out of the way. Uh, I saw that they have extended the support cycle for a few Chromebook models. Yeah, last episode we talked a bit
0: about the unfortunately fixed lifespan of Chromebooks, but this for changes some good news. Luno's got a few models here that were previously going to be out of support sometime in 2022 or 2023. All of those are now in support until June 2025.
1: It does bring up the interesting question of what exactly you have to do in order to get Google to extend that support and why Lenovo is the only manufacturer that has been blessed with any of this so far. Yeah, that raises questions. Is there a special relationship here? Is Lenovo doing some of that work
0: or are these just particularly popular or well-used Chromebooks?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I don't think they're that popular or that well-used. I mean, you know, in the wild, I see Samsung Chromebooks everywhere. I see Acer's, I see a couple of Dell's. I don't think I've actually seen a Lenovo Chromebook in the wild ever. I mean, I'm sure people are buying them, but I'm not really seeing them. Yeah, interestingly, some of the ones that are getting these,
0: these continued updates, such as like the Flex 11 or the N23 Yoga, well, you can't even buy them directly from Lenovo anymore. And we should note all seven of these share the same hardware platform, which should make that work a little bit easier.
1: Well, that's enough about that, Wes. Uh, you know, a a bare handful of Chromebooks are getting an extension on the six and a half year death sentence. Uh, none insight for anybody else yet. But on the other hand, everybody over the internet is talking about Google having achieved quantum supremacy. It's a fancy
0: term, but what does it really mean? Well, as you probably know, quantum computers are sort of here. At least they're being researched and actively developed, especially by companies like IBM and Google. And because they work differently, researchers are looking for problems that they're especially good at. It's a fun term, but what does it really mean? Well, it mostly refers to the use of a quantum computer to solve some well defined set of problems that would take orders of magnitude longer to solve with any currently known algorithms running on existing classical computers, and not just for incidental reasons, but because these algorithms can take advantage of fundamental differences between quantum computers and classical computers. So what's happening here? Well, at least according to a leaked paper, Google may have shown this for the first
1: time. So basically, Wes, what you're saying is this quantum supremacy thing, it's like if uh, it's like if I discovered that my video card could run Crisis faster than the CPU, and I said I had achieved GPU supremacy.
0: Yeah, basically that. You know, the the physics are fundamentally different. The construction is different. And because of that, well, you can do things faster. Now, one reason people are concerned about this sort of stuff is Shor's algorithm, which is an algorithm that's at least been theoretically shown to be used on a quantum computer to break a lot of extent public-key cryptography. Now, to be clear, that's not what Google is doing here. The quantum computers we have now just aren't capable of running Shor's algorithm. They don't have the right error correction in place, and they just don't have enough qubits. This story is interesting because it's one of the first steps, maybe, on the way to those larger goals.
1: Yeah, it's basically like step one, hello world step two, quantum supremacy, step three, doing something useful. Another
0: interesting factor here is we don't even know that there couldn't be classical algorithms that could compete with these quantum algorithms. There's no proof of that. So a lot of what makes this research fascinating is we just have to go try it and see. We don't yet know everywhere quantum computers might be useful. And the only way to find out is to try As fascinating as that is, though, sometimes you want a real computer to use, and that's why we have been talking a lot about AMD's Ryzen line of chips. And for the most part, it's been great. You can get them, they're fast, and they work really well. Unfortunately, it sounds like there's some models that you and I, Jim, don't really have access to.
1: Yeah, I just got the news yesterday that uh, they're launching a Ryzen Pro 3000 line. Uh, The PRO is all caps in case you weren't sure. It needed to be yelled to the top of the clouds. And uh, it was also a little bit difficult to figure out exactly what Ryzen Pro actually means. Uh, The answer turns out to be, number one, you can't have one. You can't buy the Ryzen Pro through normal retail channels. Only OEMs who are going to build systems around them can get the Pro line. Uh, The other is that, uh, as far as I can tell, this is literally the only real difference between the Pro line and the regular desktop line. It includes a feature called AMD Memory Guard. And Memory Guard, although AMD themselves hasn't tried to tie the feature to Epic's SME, it looks to me like it's exactly what it is. Uh, It's transparent, full memory encryption that the operating system doesn't need to know anything about and it protects you from all the same things in all the same ways that SME does on Epic processors.
0: Right. You can go listen to our coverage of that if you want to hear us gush over just how cool that can be.
1: And yeah, I will mention also that uh, the Pro line, it's the complete Ryzen line, all the way down from the Athlon 300GE, all the way up through the Ryzen 9, there's a Pro version to pretty much everything. There's a Ryzen 3, a Ryzen 5, a Ryzen 7, a Ryzen 9, uh, and there's actually a couple of them on the uh, the 3s and the 5s, because there's a high-power version and a low-power 35-watt TDP version of each. Are there any other key differences here? I mean, I'm already a little sad that I can't get one, but... As far as I can tell, there is no other difference. Um, AMD has a lot of war garble about the... "Quote guard me unquote technology built into it. Uh, guard me is spelled with an i on the end because, of course, it is. Of course, and you know they have some reasonably shiny infographics and whatnot. Although they mention a ton of features in Guard Me that are security focused, uh, all of them that I saw, other than the AMD Memory Guard, it, they're all built into the regular Ryzen processor line. So there may be something I've missed, but as far as I can tell, Memory Guard is it." And if you're curious where you might actually be able to buy one of these things, uh, so far the only confirmed manufacturers that I know of, again, this is very early days, but uh, HP is going to be putting out a uh, small form factor desktop and a mini PC. The mini PC is about the size of a NUC, and uh, the small form factor desktop, well, it's exactly what it says on the label. If you've seen one of those little itty-bitty Dells or HPs, that uh, you know is barely wider than the the base of a standard monitor. That's what we're talking about here, and uh, both the mini PCs and the uh, small form factors will have both the Ryzen 5 Pro and the Ryzen 3 Pro available, as well as that little Athlon GE, which is a, a dual core four thread processor.
0: And I assume there's still no
1: updates on a mobile line. Not yet. I'm waiting. I am waiting with great anticipation and bated breath, but uh, they, they refuse to say anything concrete on that yet.
0: Well, we'll just keep waiting together. But don't worry, when there is news, we'll surely cover it here on TechSnap. And if you don't want to miss that, well, the easiest way is just go to techsnap.systems and find all the links to subscribe. We've got an RSS feed, and of course, we're in all the ways you might want to get a podcast. You can also find easy ways to get in touch with us and our whole back catalog plus show notes for each episode if you want to find out more about anything we've talked about today. For more Jupiter Broadcasting episodes, well, that's jupiterbroadcasting.com. And for more of Jim or myself, well, we're both on Twitter. I'm at Wes Payne, and Jim, you're? I'm at JRSSNet. That's it for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. And of course, we'll see you right back here
1: in a couple of weeks, everybody.